Today's episode is brought to you by Anchor. Odd Squad, how many of you have wanted to, I don't know, start your own podcast? I know you're not part of one already. <laughs> I've thought about it. Yeah, Every day of my life. Honestly, pretty much never. never thought about I'm it start until a rival podcast, you wrote me into this. You're going to start a rival podcast, yeah. Sarah? Well, the, do you know who would the be the perfect one? The peculiar. The, the peculiar <laughs> one. The peculiar two. Yeah. Well, the perfect company to work with for your podcast would be Anchor. And here's a few reasons why. First off, it's free. Second, they have a bunch of awesome tools that allow you to make your podcast, stitch it together, put ads such as this one in it. Anchor is what I use for my podcast. We like that it's free. It is free. And it distributes your podcast to <gasps> Spotify, Apple no. Podcasts, and yes. many more. Oh my God. Nathan, I love how excited you are. Yes. Because so am I. Just a very efficient system. Oh, it's so efficient. <laughs> because you can also make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. Isn't oh, that crazy? my God. Yes, Hello. that's crazy. Oh, my God. I'm Give reading me nothing money. right now. <laughs> I'm making money right now from Anchor because I use Anchor. <laughs> Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. This podcast contains strong language and graphic depictions of criminal offenses. This episode includes discussions of murder and sexual assault that some people may find offensive. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, everyone. Before we get started, I just want to say a quick thank you for checking out our first episode. How this show works is I, as your host, the odd one himself, will sit here and go through one of those uh, crime stories with some of my best friends here. They have not heard these stories before, as far as I know, and over some drinks we'll talk about the case and get genuine reactions and discussions from them about the subject matter. Obviously, because we're discussing true crime, topics can be pretty heavy, but because we're all good friends, it could get a little comedic, it could stay serious the whole time, who knows? But without further ado, how about we have everyone introduce themselves? Hello, I am David. Hey, I'm Hannah. I'm Josiah. Hi guys, I'm Sarah. And my name is Nathan. And I'm your host, Tanner Azanero, a.k.a. The Odd One. November 10th, 2010, almost 10 years ago. Katy Perry's firework is top of the charts, The Walking Dead and Downton Abbey begin their first seasons, and life is simple and quiet for 32-year-old Tina Herman and her two children, 11-year-old Cody Maynard and 13-year-old Sarah Maynard. In addition to the family is Tina's best friend, 41-year-old Stephanie Sprang. November 10th is the last day any of the family members, as well as Sprang, are reported being seen by anyone. According to an ABC News article by Dean Shabner, Tina didn't show up for her shift at Dairy Queen, which prompted some of the multiple reports about the missing family's whereabouts. Eventually, officers arrived at the family's home to discover remnants of a gruesome crime scene. In the home, law enforcement, headed by Sheriff David Barber, discovered bags of recently purchased groceries just left on the floor in the kitchen, not yet put away, and most disturbingly, blood. 
all throughout the house. It was described by Sheriff Barber as an unusual amount of blood. Knox County Prosecutor John Thatcher said that the blood evidence revealed three separate and violent attacks, each in different parts of the home. Trails of blood from all three of those attack points each led to the bathroom like the victims had been dragged there after the attack. Did you say where this was or did I miss it? Um, I thought I said where it was. Let me see. I can't remember, of course. Were you even listening? I actually don't think I said it. See? <laughs> um, I believe it's in Ohio. Okay. Uh, I just can't remember what town. That makes sense. You're right, I should have Nothing said Nothing good that. has That's ever totally happened in Ohio, let's be honest. Midwest represent. I, yeah, I think <laughs> it's, it's, it's definitely in Ohio. I'm, I'm reasonably sure. Okay. Go Buckeyes. Uh, this is a yeah. quote from prosecutor <laughs> uh, John Thatcher. There was a significant amount of blood in the bathtub. And it looked like the blood had left a, a ring around the a tub. So at this point, you've got four people missing, two adults and two children. The family dog, also nowhere to be found. Blood all over the house suggesting violent attacks against at least three individuals. Tina's truck is missing as well. Now, in the case of a missing family, particularly a mother, her best friend and her two children... Who is always first in line of the usual suspects? The husband. It's always the husband, the husband. or the boyfriend. The Nine husband. times out of ten, they Why did. Why did you whisper that? <laughs> yeah. It felt like, I don't know, I was sharing it's a, a secret. secret. Yeah. The husbands will know. <laughs> <laughs> we can't let the men know. So, uh, Tina Herman, uh, she does not share a same last name with her children. Her children's last names are Maynard. Her last name is Herman. Uh, I couldn't exactly tell uh, from the sources that I found, but I think we can glean that she was married and is now divorced. Uh, no articles brought up her ex-husband um, as a suspect, but I'm sure that uh, he was looked into. Um, I just found nothing concrete about uh, whoever that man was. She have a boyfriend though? Greg Borders. <laughs> <laughs> was Tina Herman's live-in boyfriend. There you go. At the, <laughs> at the time, Son Borders and Herman had been in a rocky place in their relationship and seemed to be on their way to a breakup. Mm -hmm. Just as quickly as police suspected Borders, however, they also verified his alibi. He was at work at the time and had digitally clocked in with his ID card, in addition to making consistent appearances on his work security cameras mm. to back up the alibi. Uh. With the usual suspects seeming to check out as innocent at every turn, the investigation seemed to be pointing in the direction of more unusual suspects. In this case, cruel and unusual suspects. Ooh. Uh, remember when I said my script was corny? That's what I meant. I like corn. <laughs> I like harmony. Also, Sarah, I love that you got like mad that it wasn't the boyfriend. <laughs> like you just wanted it to be the boyfriend. Yeah. I mean, it's like in like a clue, like who done it? It's always the butler. You know what it, I mean? It was the boyfriend. Always the boyfriend in the living room. It's like a bunch of different with the banana. It's okay, always well, my yeah. butler. I have a butler, yeah. obviously. Nathan, Nathan has a butler. I it's do myself. live in. I do live in this house. Okay, I'm, I'm my own say, butler. I've never seen the butler. 
So maybe we do an episode. You definitely on, have it's me. On Nathan. I'm the butler. Do you have an outfit? You're looking at it. <laughs> Damn it. Am I the security system? You said that so seriously, and <laughs> the answer's yes. David, you have whatever you want with that stare. <laughs> in addition to the family's still unpacked groceries left strewn about the kitchen, authorities also discovered another Walmart bag in the garage that implied even more vile behavior. This lone Walmart bag contained a tarp and heavy-duty garbage bags, details that suggested disembodiment. Law enforcement began to worry they weren't looking for four living victims, but rather what was left of their bodies. Until another clue brought them a glimmer of hope. A bloody footprint on its way away from the home that matched a young 13-year-old Sarah Maynard. Oh. So the, the bloody footprint that was discovered matched uh, Sarah Maynard, the 13-year-old When he girl. first said 13-year-old, I was like expecting it to be like a 13-year-old neighbor, and then I really wasn't anticipating that it was going to be Sarah. No, it was, it was one it of was the... Her. Oh. You know what I mean? You're like a 13-year-old, and I was like, oh my God, it's so it weirdo. Name, so and then that... it, yeah, I, I panicked, yes. truthfully. You are the culprit. Yeah. Um... <laughs> you're also Nathan's. 13 now. Yeah, you're 13 now. Nathan's a butler. <laughs> and you're 13. Dave, David's okay. the security. Okay. <laughs> Across town, Deputy Aaron Phillips, on a standard patrol shift and uninvolved in the investigation, had gotten the instructions sent by dispatch to keep an eye out for Tina Herman's missing black truck. He was the first to find it, abandoned in a parking lot on the campus of Kenyon College. Police put the college into lockdown and sent investigators over to the vehicle immediately, while other law enforcement made sure the school was safe. Deputy Phillips had a brief conversation with a man in the parking lot at the time of the truck's discovery, but the man said that he did not witness anyone driving that truck. With every other lead drying up, police followed what seemed to be their last hope of gathering any more answers, the Walmart bag found in the garage the one containing heavy-duty plastic bags and tarps. Investigators didn't have a receipt, but Walmart personnel used barcodes to locate the purchases. Which, real quick, I have my own interjections. If anyone ever tells me I need a receipt ever again, <laughs> I'm going re so to report true. back to Especially this. Especially at Walmart. I, right, right. I didn't know that just you could just look up this barcode on the thing. Makes so, sense, though. Right, right. It does make sense. So there's been many returns that I should have been able to make. <laughs> and nice. things that I could just get money for. All right. Coming for you, Walmart. <laughs> yes. Walmart, we are going to tear you down podcast by Fuck podcast. You, even though you were a great help to law enforcement right here. And <laughs> there, there he is. All over security cameras, walking in and out of Walmart without a care in the world. There he is, too. Oh, you'll give me a second. Like <laughs> you jumped the gun, Hannah. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. A young man with brown hair wearing a long sleeve camouflage shirt and black pants. He leaves Walmart and gets into a silver Toyota Yaris and then drives away. Police, what's funny about it? <laughs> a, a Yaris? That's like, that's like the worst. Like, I'm not trying to interject humor, but like. It's just like a bad car. <laughs> it's a no, it's car. it's not a good car, and also you have to say you drive a Yaris. Yaris. Yeah. 
It's like the worst word. It does sound like you're saying something with two different accents that don't match. <laughs> I drive a Yaris. Yaris. <laughs> also, before we find out who this male is, I do find it interesting that police typically pursue the boyfriend or husband simply out of statistics. Whether or not things like are pointing towards them, they always pursue them because of how often the people that have been murdered or adopted. Uh, abducted are like related to them. Nine times out of ten, it's someone somebody knew. Do you, Do you yeah. think that they should be doing that less? No, I th- I think it's great <laughs> that they do that simply based off statistics. Yeah. Well, it's like yeah. when you win the lottery, like most people that are going to attack you know you super closely, right? Mm. Because it's like your family is going to come for you first if you win the lottery and have a bunch of money. A lot of people die. When they win, win the lottery. lottery? Yes. We yes. should do an episode on that. Because, <gasps> because their, fr- their friends, their close friends and their family kill them. Yeah. It, it's, it's insane. There's so many the cases. Lottery. Like if I won the lottery, I would hide in a bunker. Oh. Because it, there's terrifying. no point. There's no point. Just, you know what, guys? Stop getting lottery tickets. I'm Just stop. <laughs> <laughs> Just stop. Yeah, you're like on a one-way ticket to being rich by Stop buying lottery tickets. You're scratching off a chance of your death. It's not, <laughs> it's not. But what are we doing every time we wake up, Nathan? Come on. Someone's got to win the lottery. Some of us wow, want that. that also, so, I, David, you, you don't <laughs> chime in until you say that. I love it. All right, also, that's an easy the way point. out, and you won the lottery. I did meet uh, a winner of the Tennessee lottery. Oh, um, how was that? They, did they, you kill him? They were a human. No, I did not. I did not. Was what that sexist of me to assume it was a guy? Was it a guy? No. I'm vindicated. Oh, wait, no, I'm, not. I'm not vindicated. So. I'm sexist. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I just expected it. See? Even worse. Even worse. I'm cutting all of this. No one will know. None of you will know. Okay. Anyway. Okay. All right. He gets into his silver Toyota Yaris and then drives away. Stop laughing at the Yaris. Police run a search on all of the silver Toyota Yaris's registered in Knox County, then begin to slowly compare driver's license photos to the man captured on security cameras. As they go down the list, they click on the name Matthew Hoffman. I just sent you a picture of Matthew Hoffman's driver's license and also uh, him on security camera at the Walmart. Is he wearing the same shirt in his driver's license photo? Here's this quote. Up comes this guy, and we've got the surveillance photos from Walmart, and the thing that first thing caught our attention was he's wearing the same shirt. <laughs> he's wearing the same shirt. He only has the one. To Walmart that he is. <laughs> and, it's, and it's a long sleeve camo. Mm. So this, so he's trying to hide. He's trying to hide. I so like, I feel like a lot of criminals are like pretty smart people. Especially when it. Let me rephrase that. There's a lot of like serial killer people who are like, they got a brain. Like they usually think about what they're doing. You think this guy wouldn't just wear the same shirt as his license picture? Keep that thought until the end. Well, do you remember what you're wearing your driver's license photo? No. Also, I will say, growing up in a place where Good people point. wear thank you, growing up in a place where people wear camo all the time, 
he probably was thinking, hmm, I'm wearing my nice camo shirt today. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. it could still be camo, but my, it's different. My murder he, camo yeah, shirt. Yeah, I was going to say, he thinks the same thing the day he goes to kill people. God. Yeah, Dressed up nice for camo it. Shirt. What, that's, keep that thought <laughs> until we'll we go hunt. We'll um, be keeping that thought. I'll say, if we were to give like movie level genre comparisons to this episode and the next episode... This episode is a psych thriller, and the next episode is a drama. Ooh. Matthew Hoffman. In addition to matching the face and attire to the suspect on Walmart cameras, Hoffman also had his mother's address listed on his driver's license. It was a short walk from Tina Herman's home where the crime took place. It was reported that from each house, you could see the other. That was the only connection to the missing family that police were able to make. They quickly worked to locate his actual address and prepared themselves to get a search warrant. However, they felt their evidence was too circumstantial for an arrest, too insufficient. But a young Sarah Maynard's life and hopefully her family's lives were on the line. You can only wait so long for more evidence to lead to Matthew Hoffman. Also, I'm going to interject myself here. Okay. I feel like they had plenty of evidence to get a search warrant at this point. They had yeah, yeah it feels pretty damning. They at that had point. a crime scene with blood everywhere. They had bags that were purchased by Hoffman. Right at, in the home, right? Right, yeah, in inside the of the home that he had, you know, no reason to to be in. And this dude's wearing the same shirt. <laughs> right, it like it definitely confirms that it's the guy. I I don't know. I and, feel like they're and and again, it could be the nuances of that department. But I feel like I've seen other departments make arrests for way less. Yeah. But also, other than proximity, did he know the family? Do you know? We'll get into that. But mm-hmm. but um, as of right now, as of right now, all that I've told you is that his mom lived within spitting distance of the house. Cool. So spitting distance. Spitting distance. <laughs> Police learned everything they could about Matthew Hoffman. In 2001, Hoffman committed a burglary that ended in arson in Colorado. He was sentenced to eight years in prison and was released to Ohio upon his sixth year for parole. No deaths were caused by the arson. However, he did cause about $2 million worth of damages. Now, on parole... He had found work as a tree trimmer and lived an odd lifestyle as it was later reported by his neighbors. He would hang hammocks high up in trees and spy on other homes, as well as hunt squirrels in his yard for food. His neighbors said that he never went grocery shopping. It's likely his, squirrels. It's likely his scavenging for food also came from his less than substantial income while he struggled to maintain many different jobs after life in prison. Anybody else feel like arson's a gateway crime to murder? I knew somebody. Kinda. Who, yeah. I knew somebody okay. who burned down a barn. And but like, <laughs> compare or a bar. it. Yeah, compare it to like other gateways, so. quote unquote. Like, marijuana is a gateway drug. I'm not gonna go like commit arson and like, then kill someone. No, to give a little no, more I mean, context, like, other than what was in my script, uh, it was something along the lines of he thought it would help him not get caught. 
So he was like getting rid of evidence and it got yeah. way out of control. But I feel like <clears throat> if he's murdering somebody in that way, I feel like that's why people burn things. Like, I don't want to get caught, you know? Well, maybe that comes back up again later. <laughs> oh, okay. we have more to go. Um, <laughs> and although police are aware of Matthew Hoffman's dangerous record, they didn't have enough to make an arrest until one member of law enforcement brought up the man that Deputy Aaron Phillips had spoken to earlier, the one who was in the parking lot where Tina's truck was found. They questioned Deputy Phillips about the man, and the shocking realization hits them like a truck. The man was in a silver Toyota Yaris. It was Matthew Hoffman. But the eeriest detail from the interaction told here by Deputy Phillips in an interview with WBNS was this. What are you doing here? Well, I'm just waiting for my girlfriend to get off work. That's what Deputy Aaron Phillips asked Matthew Hoffman and Matthew Hoffman's response. What's her name? Sarah. <gasps> oh, no, no. He gave the name of the missing 13-year-old girl. Bruh. They didn't think anything of that? No, I mean, Sarah is a really common name. They didn't know. Name. So, Aaron, okay. so Deputy Aaron Phillips was not part of the investigation. Right, he was just looking out for the car. Yes. Gotcha. 13-year-old Sarah Maynard mentioned by name by Matthew Hoffman at the scene of Tina Herman's missing black truck. He didn't even change her name. And that realization got police jumping into action immediately with a warrant for Hoffman's arrest in hand. A SWAT team moved into position around Hoffman's home, ready to strike and hopeful that they were arriving in time to save four missing people. Also, just so you know, a timeline wise, this isn't the same day. This is like four days after the family went missing. So... There's a reason I chose this case as our premiere episode. Up to this point, I haven't given you the full details of the crime outside of what police knew at the time. So we are trudging forward as if we are part of the investigation. And speculation alone already makes this a horrific case. But I don't think any amount of imagination or speculation could compare to what truly happened. This is truly a you can't make this shit up case. In all of my knowledge of true crime, the mind of Matthew Hoffman is the most uniquely sick and distraught of any killer in history. The SWAT team moves into Hoffman's home and immediately subdues him. The first officers who enter the home as Hoffman is being taken into custody are the first to see leaves, tree leaves, all over the home. Loosely scattered about the floor, stuck to the walls, stapled to the ceiling, making the home's interior hardly distinguishable from the actual woods. Stacked in piles from floor to ceiling, so high and thick that officers were terrified of finding bodies buried within the piles. And not just loose leaves either, bags of them. Hundreds and hundreds of full garbage bags of leaves. leaves. Inside his fridge were some red popsicles and two dead squirrels. Uh, That's it. <laughs> Dinner, yeah. Got the, got the necessities. That's it. You trying to lose weight? Doctors hate him. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. Oh, God. Well... <laughs> On a happier note, squirrel meat just also wouldn't have the necessary nutrient value. 
If he gets a lot of them, which he apparently does. Also, <laughs> I think I broke David. <laughs> okay. Not enough. I think the rum broke David. <laughs> the big the big reveal and good news. Rum makes me. <laughs> down in the basement, a gasp of relief. There was 13-year-old Sarah Maynard alive, but bound, gagged, and forced to sleep on a makeshift bed of leaves. In place of her clothes, Hoffman had forced her to wear a plastic bag with holes cut out for the legs, a sort of homemade diaper. Hoffman had repeatedly raped her, telling her that he would release her before Christmas time next month. According to Sarah, she was rescued four days after her capture. What I'm sending you right now, uh, there's two photos uh, side by side. Um, if you guys wouldn't mind uh, kind of describing what you're seeing and everything and uh, how it's making What's you that? feel. It looks no. like the house is like insulated. That's with, what he did. He, he, oh. took a, he took away the insulation and in place put bags and bags and bags of leaves. That is so... Yeah, and it's literally just like grocery bags of leaves oh. like stapled to the wall. And also the window above the toilet is like bagged over so like you can't see in the photo on the right oh. is basically sarah's uh prison right that, i was gonna the, ask is that like where basement. her bed yeah, is yeah that's her bed and interesting and less of a basement but more of a crawl space where like you can't stand up down there there was no light there there, there was no light to be had in there either. and he's not a military vet of any sort i don't remember i don't believe he was military because these buildings, like the way it's constructed, is very similar to how they would use to insulate old military forts. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. I don't maybe. remember seeing anything. So it'll also check out with survivalist that. tendencies. Oh, you know what? Maybe he was. I don't remember. I'm for not going to say for sure or not. I, I for can't some remember reason, when head. you said that there was just like a bunch of leaves, I feel like I was not expecting them. I was imagining it then, like, not. In bags like that, just him like individually. Let, no, also let me no. Let me also lives. say that was the case. So yeah. these photos are only a couple that I were able to find okay. and verify were his. There was one other photo, but I couldn't find a high enough quality version of it to share. It was literally a pile of leaves about three feet off the ground, like that table, mm-hmm. uh, just loose leaves and ones yeah. even higher throughout the home. There must so. be like so many bugs in those too. Yeah, disgusting. Know, like, and how long after they went missing was she found four in this basement? Okay. Four days. She had she had been there for four days. Was she, um, maybe I'll answer this in a second. Was she the only one that they found there? We'll get to that. Okay. After being rescued, the very first thing she told police was that she was going to be late for school and asked police to take her to class, even though she was rescued on a Sunday. Her trauma had left her terrified and confused, and she also voiced her concern that Hoffman had killed her dog. What Sarah didn't know was that police were concerned more about the entire family. Sarah had no idea that her mother and brother, along with Stephanie Sprang and the family dog, were likely all dead. Their bodies were not discovered in those massive piles of leaves or anywhere else in the home for that matter. It seemed Hoffman had a strange obsession with trees and leaves separate from the assault. In the interrogation room, police had many questions for Matthew Hoffman. Most importantly, the location of the three missing people who were hopefully still alive. 
but Hoffman refused to cooperate at first. Multiple sources say that Hoffman spent days refusing to give police any information or admit any involvement in the disappearances until he had a nightmare about disembodied corpses that made him want to come clean. Knox County Prosecutor John Thatcher offered Hoffman a plea deal to not seek the death penalty if he confessed to the murders and gave the location of the bodies. Hoffman agreed to the plea with one more strange condition of his own. Hoffman led police to a 60-foot-tall tree in the Cocosing Lake wildlife area. The tree was hollow. Hoffman had used a pulley system from his tree-cutting job to raise himself up about 40 feet into the hollow tree and dump plastic garbage bags full of dismembered body parts inside of the tree. The body parts in those bags were those of Tina Herman, Stephanie Sprang, 11-year-old Cody Maynard, as well as the family dog. Hoffman's one request, that the tree not be harmed or chopped down. What a weirdo! Law enforcement did not keep their promise, and the tree was quickly cut down and removed after recovering <laughs> the victim's bodies. Well, it's like, yeah. good. Uh, how did he find a 60-foot hollow tree? Well, he has an obsession with... I was going to say, I feel like I feel like it wasn't murder, then find tree. I feel like it was find tree, have idea, and then murder. Or he already knew about the tree, probably like crawled in it and stuff, you know? Yeah, yeah. it was like and, probably yeah, more like, that. Yeah. And, oh, you know what I could I mean, fill this like, tree with? Yeah. His body parts. Well, it, I, also too, I mean like, if he wasn't anticipating like killing them initially, he probably was like, where do I put them? Oh, I have this tree. Like, That's I'm true. like, I'm not going to, like, ooh, you know what would be great in this tree? Body parts. Like, I'm well, going yeah, to kill some people why? to fill it up. On January 6th, 2011, Matthew Hoffman pled guilty to 10 different charges and was sentenced to life in prison without the opportunity for parole. Now, to clear up some of the details of the crime itself and how Hoffman carried it out, I'm going to read from this article from the Columbus Dispatch published in 2011 that included direct excerpts from Hoffman's confession. Here are some key points from Hoffman himself. Quote, I got to the woods across the street from the house a little after midnight. I slept across the street from the house that night in a sleeping bag. I woke up at daylight. I walked across the street and tried to enter the front door, but it was locked. I then went in through the garage door. The garage door was not closed all the way, so I slid under it into the garage. I kicked the door into the house from the garage. By this time, it was approximately 10.30 a.m. Wednesday morning. I looked around the house to make sure no one was there. Even if I had not taken anything, there was a certain amount of excitement in being in someone else's home without them being there. I was getting ready to leave as I had been there approximately an hour, but someone pulled into the driveway. I was back in the bedrooms when she entered the house and I was unable to exit without breaking a window and trying to jump out. I had brought my knife for a certain amount of intimidation in case I ran into someone and needed to make an escape. When she made her way back into the bedrooms, I confronted her and made her get onto the bed lying face down. Uh, the her he is referring to is Tina Herman, the mother. The next thing that I knew, her friend, Stephanie Sprang, came into the room. I have no idea when she got there, what she was doing there, and how she gained access. 
The other woman yelled at me. There were now two to deal with, and I did not know what to do. I grabbed the knife that I had put down on the nightstand and stabbed the woman on the bed through her back twice. I chased the other woman down and stabbed her a couple of times in the chest. I then went back to the other bedroom where the first woman was located and stabbed her a couple more times. I could tell that both women were now dead. At this time, I was in a total state of shock. I wandered around the house, slowly coming to the realization of what I had done and how bad it was. During this time, I killed the dog because it would not stop barking. After a while, I came to the conclusion that I was going to dispose of the bodies and burn the house down. I decided to process the bodies and dispose of them inside of a tree that I knew was hollow. I took the bodies into the bathroom and began processing the bodies to dispose of them. Once I had finished processing the bodies, I moved the Jeep into the garage to load up the bodies. I still had a couple of bags to load into the Jeep. Quick aside, the Jeep is Stephanie Sprang's vehicle. When I heard the children come into the house, I confronted the children and the girl instantly ran to a bedroom. I stabbed the boy in the chest a couple of times. I ran into the bedroom after the girl to make sure she was not on the phone for help. I saw the girl was not on the phone and I could not bring myself to kill her. I did not enter the house to kill those people. I did not know a single one of them. I did not know their names and I did not know who all lived at the house. I did not plan for any of this to happen. And that's the story of the Hollow Tree Murders. That's what they called it. Pretty good name. So, fitting name. The <laughs> big question is he says it was a robbery, and there really isn't a why. It happened. Like, there isn't a why as to why. He did. There isn't a why. To, well, he, he doesn't even know. He didn't know. even know why he went over there. I don't know if he knows. Yeah. I, I, my argument would be that I think he knew more than a robbery was going to happen somewhere inside of him because he spent an hour in the house without leaving or taking anything. Right. When the police showed up, nothing seemed like it was even being collected to be robbed. Like the house was fine, except right. for the new Walmart bag and the blood everywhere. And also, you said he kept her in his basement for four days. Yeah, I feel like if you're within spinning distance of another house you know kids are there yeah oh yeah and if you keep somebody in in your basement for four days i feel like that was probably his original intent to some degree i agree i think the point's interesting that he like couldn't bring himself to kill sarah yeah like why he like kind of did Killed the other people with like no eleven-year-old boy, yeah, <laughs> like 11 an eleven-year-old boy. boy. Yeah. yeah, like he he obviously didn't have a problem killing a child. Yeah, and I feel like that's no. Di- I mean, she's a girl. I don't know if that makes it any well, different he for him. Just killed two women, probably. You know? well, I, a, a little girl. I I don't know. It yeah. like I don't know what's going on in his mind. So, so like, you don't have a problem killing a little girl, but you. I mean, you have a problem killing a little girl, but you don't have a problem. Doing the things he did to a little girl. He did say... This is um, true. He said he took good care of her, uh, slept with her in his arms, and... Uh, slept her, with her in his arms. Yeah. And let yeah. her read the book Treasure Island and watched Iron Man with her. Wow. So accommodating. <laughs> let me guess. He thought she liked the bed of leaves. Probably. I never read anything about him being like, no, she like kind of delusional about it. I think he kind of knew. 
Um, I never read anything that suggested he was like totally out of it. I mean, because what's interesting to me about it is like, you know, we talked about how like, you know, maybe he had a different idea going in. He knew this was going to happen. If you premeditate a murder in any fashion, it's much cleaner than what he did. Mm-hmm. If he oh, says, it was def- I don't think he went in knowing yeah, he was going to do it. Because just, I stabbed them a couple times and the amount of blood you said was on the scene is very not typical for a someone who's like aware and capable of murder mm-hmm. in like a premeditative sense. Right. Mm-hmm. I think he knew he was capable of it, but didn't know he was going to do it. Yeah. Which leads me again to the like... Was he a vet idea, which we can't verify, so I'm going to say on the record, he's not. I don't think so. I'm going to lean more towards that. interesting. I feel like he probably had seen them. Very likely. You know? I mean, he was a weirdo who sat up in the trees in his his home um, and watched neighbors and stuff. Yeah, like I'm sure, I'm sure he had like seen them before. I just, I feel like he, in some way, had, like, seen Sarah from a distance and went in that house because he knew it was her house. And he even called her, like, I mean, when he was talking to the police or whatever, he's like, I'm waiting for my girlfriend, Sarah. Mm -hmm. Like, he had a weird, like, romance. And then, I mean, obviously, he, like, did awful things to her and had a problem doing that and stuff. So I feel like, in a weird way, he... (sighs) I feel like he he knew he was gonna like he was doing it for Sarah. And how old way. was he? Do we um, know how old he was? He I thought it, I think you said twenty seven. I think so. Yes, he's twenty seven. Okay. Yep. I still don't get the leaves garbage. I don't know if anyone is gonna get that just, except him. I think he just really liked the woods, and it seems like he just wanted to feel surrounded by trees. He's a nature boy. Which is weird to me because they were in bags in the first place. Well, some of them, a lot of them, the pictures that I sent didn't show. There were loose, like big piles of leaves all over the house also. It's pretty typical for any sort of killer to have a fixation. Like Dahmer had the bodies, Mm -hmm. Bundy had a number of things. So yeah, it's pretty typical for a killer to have some sort of obsession that leads him towards some end goal even though hiding in the tree is actually in part with the fact that he had the leaves and god i study this too way too much so i it's just weird because i feel like a lot of killers uh obsessions like that we can relate kind of to like a very far off part of human right it has like a human element right there's some kind of relatability to it and with this it's just off the wall so did he live alone yes I read Wait. somewhere that he had a girlfriend before this happened, but I don't know how this <laughs> man has. Sarah. I assume he didn't after. I well, Bless he didn't during the time heart. of the murder. Oh. I only read one article that uh, suggested he had had a girlfriend. It was a tree. Um, <laughs> maybe, but it was, so it was the Lorax. He did not live with his mother. <laughs> it was the Lorax. Groot. He was the one yeah, for no. Yeah. Um, so it, he did not live with his mom then. No, so. his mom just lived basically eyesight to the Herman family. Gotcha. Because he lived by himself. Yes. Yeah. How far yeah. away was like his house where he kept Sarah from? Not sure, but not horribly far. Okay. Let also, me... how how do you afford his house? Uh, he question. never bought groceries. Well, also, I mean, it could be. It could like, be a thing where his family's helping. Yeah, it yeah. could be a family property. Small towns often families are. I don't remember reading about that. Interesting. I, yeah. Okay, nice. It's also funny to me that he lived off squirrel mate. 
and popsicles. Yeah. And, and yeah, and red, red popsicles. popsicles. Yeah. Specifically red popsicles. <laughs> mm-hmm. Probably just like cherry flavor. I mean, I, I guess you could chalk that up to that's what he man. bought and that's what was left in the fridge. Mm. Yeah. Got it. Or that's that was his least favorite only flavor, what he ate, maybe. Yeah. A true man of the woods, hammocking in trees, eating squirrels. Like, and cherry popsicles. Like, high up in trees, too, like a weirdo. Like, no one puts hammocks, like, up there. Like, dude, get a tree stand. Also, yeah, well, that's essentially what he made his house. A true. tree stand. Yeah. Uh, can you, like, just visualize him hoisting himself up the 60-foot with tree? Bags with bags of three dead people. I know. And, that's a like, and a dog. And a, a, and a dog. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck Ohio. But I mean... <laughs> yeah, seriously. Ohio crazy. Yeah. I'm from Ohio. <laughs> Ohio. Okay. You like, can say you're from Ohio. Like, yeah, I want to, I kind of want to see like how he made the pulley that he was able to lift himself something up. something about with work? With body. It was, well, ba- think of a tree cutter, like a tree, like someone who yeah. limbs trees. Is that the term? Uh, it was that. He was literally from his job of tree cutting. Okay. That he didn't I was, even I was have say, at the time. He had oh, fired. I forgot that he was a tree cutter. Yes. This makes... Oh, he had gotten fired. All the pieces yeah, are Yeah, at the time he had been Hope fired from that job. Oh. I just made it a point to mention the tree trimming job because that explains his equipment sure. and kind of know-how with the equipment. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. Also, I worked with somebody at a previous job and they were working two jobs and they said they were sitting in the i mean this is in tennessee i'm not saying it was the same person but they were sitting in the in the truck waiting for the foreman to get on site and two guys got heated and one guy said i've killed before and i'll do it again to you And so I feel like that industry is just a lot of like <laughs> vagrants and like a lot of sketchy people. It is one of those jobs though. Uh, Josiah and I currently work at Amazon. It is one of those jobs though where I feel like anyone could show up. Right, and get a exactly. Job. Yeah. And a job that probably has a very high turnover. And he was rate. a felon. He was on parole. Yeah. Like he had an ankle right. monitor and everything. So. I mean, if he well, was fired is... too before all this happened, that could also be a huge impetus for the actions he took. Yeah. He I... was, uh, he had a bad life. Yeah, had a bad life for sure. I don't know about his childhood much. Oh, though. that's so interesting too, though, because if he was on parole and had like a like a ankle bracelet or something, I wonder if he was only allowed like at his residence and like maybe his mom's residence, and if that house was like just maybe. across the street. I don't street. remember reading about restrictions like that, but I'm you know what I mean, though. Like, I mean, yeah. if he's like, this is as far as I can walk. Like, yeah, this house right. is right there. Yeah, it'd be interesting. He probably. He probably had a perimeter. Yeah. That, it probably like, was like the city that he was in, but yeah. And also, like, it didn't go off. Like, he didn't, like, go Which, outside of it. Sorry, so. I should have mentioned this earlier. The city was Mount Vernon, Ohio. Mount Vernon. Why? I've definitely heard of that. There's place. a few Mount Vernons yeah. In, yeah. in the States. Oh, yeah. I'm pretty sure there's one in Tennessee and Illinois. Yeah, I know. Actually, and then I probably haven't heard of Mount Vernon, Ohio. Does this... Does this <laughs> Makes sense with Mount Vernon. I'm just remembering he learning about Hoffman ten years ago. Oh, so I'm you, from Ohio. Well, no, I know that make that makes sense. Oh. Also, w- this happened in yeah no, ten years ago, ten and eleven. Sorry, I of course I did all the research and I'm the one having it. Wait, yeah, David, did you like as a kid? Did you hear about this guy? I mean, I was 15, right? But that's so, like an age where you. Remember yeah, things. So like, <laughs> no, when he mentioned the name, like, I sorry. definitely remembered. Like, wait, I know that name. Why do I know that name? And then I'm like, oh right, he killed people, and my mom talked about it, and that's about as far as I go. Interesting. Okay, I guess I wasn't super invested in like 
criminals either at yeah, like I was early high school level. Specifically in Ohio. Especially, yeah. In Espe- Ohio. A 15 year old boy has his, eye, has his mind on other things. <laughs> this okay. is fair. I had a teacher who was a suspect for murder, and it was really awkward. Uh, oh, <laughs> he wasn't though. He wasn't awkward. though. But it was funny because I was uh. listening to an episode of Dateline, and they mentioned him on it, and I went, "Oh, <laughs> I know my, him. I remember when teacher. he was away from school because he was a suspect for murder." <laughs> well, Tanner, like from Washington State, yes. teacher. I feel like so much. So, oh my god! So much. Dude, it's like a hot you spot. go to Washington State to enter the murder industry. Yeah, <laughs> I can say industry, that. Like, oh my post god! Case. If I wanted to go <laughs> into the murder industry, I'd go home. Okay. Also, a lot of murder industry. There is a specific town in Washington that has this really weird name, so I can't remember it right now. Snoqualmie. <laughs> no, I think that's how you say it. Probably a good guess though. It's not that, but it's weird like that. Yakima. Yes, Yakima. Yakima. You hear about that in like every other true crime podcast. I don't get it. And here it is in ours. That yeah, killed Nathan. Like a... it, is, it is in every other podcast and I don't get it. Oh, yeah. What is Yakima up with that? Yakima and Walla Walla. Walla. Nathan's it's the Tri-Cities, so there's a big area oh, there. Okay. And it's not super Yakima. nice of an area. So yeah. The only reason I know about Yakima is iCarly. iCarly. I knew you were going to say iCarly. Oh. <laughs> iCarly, they... I hit their like grandpa or something is from Yakima, Yakima and they always make fun of that because it sounds like someone's thrown up. Yep. Yeah. It, that's the iCarly joke. Wow. That's like you just did. Thanks Dan Schneider. That joke holds up. I'd say also Dan Schneider is a bad person. Don't like him. Oh. Anyway, well, thank you everyone for (laughs) so much for joining us. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe and leave us a five star review. That's a huge help toward allowing us to keep the podcast going and eventually make it a weekly show. And we very much appreciate your support. If you want to check out photos from this case as well as our sources, the website doesn't exist yet, but by the time I release this, there will be a link in the description for that. Uh, Thank you very much. And until next time, I'm your host, Tanner Azanero, the odd one. Out.